0: Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that awesome? Come on, it's already been a good day. Let's go. That was a lot of fun. So great. Thanks for being here. Hey, grateful to have Joy McLaughlin in the house. What a great privilege. Yeah, let's go. I mean, some of you guys may not know, obviously, Joey is our student pastor. Ten years ago started what's happening right here, right now. You know, he was like 12 back then, I think. But, um, and then Joey has been at our Elevate City campus. And, man, just starting a church in the middle of a pandemic is a little bit ambitious, to say the least. And, uh, man, there have been sleepless nights, and nobody will know, but the stories of the kingdom. Dude, they'll tell a story. And so, so proud of him and the team that's down there. And you can be proud, even though you may not get to see it firsthand, but amazing work they're doing down there. And seeing some crazy story life change and just meeting people where they are and people who don't know God in a new generation. So, man, couldn't be more proud of what's happening down there. And you should be proud, too, because you're a part of all of that. So grateful to be in the house, Joey, man. Thanks for being here. You know, we're in this series today uh, on, it's called Galatians, it's this part of the Bible um, where a guy named Paul is writing, and he's writing to a church that he started, and he wants him to remember this one word of freedom, and he wants him to live in it, to stay in it, because we had this propensity to kind of get away from it once we get there, and so when he wrote the letter to this church, what would have happened is one of the leaders in the church would have stood up, and they would have read this letter out loud to the congregation, so over the course of the series, what we've been doing is we've been doing the same thing, as we've had someone come up and read the chapter that we're going to be studying for the day. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to invite someone in just a second, but this is what I want you to think about. Sometimes when you go through emotion like that, it can feel like liturgy. Like you may have grown up in a liturgical church and they got up and they read. It's kind of boring, right? It was, you can agree. Yeah, it's kind of boring and it, it didn't feel like it meant anything. But I just want you to know that, that I'm going to invite Andrea. Come on up, Andrea. Andrea let's welcome Andrea up to the stage. Andrea is a friend of mine, and as she's reading, I just want you to think, like, God's Word is intended to change your life. Amen? Like, God's Word is intended to transform you. It's intended to search your heart. It's intended to do something. And you may be a little skeptical today or a little tired or a little complacent, but if you'll just lean in for a second and just believe, just believe that God could do something, even in the simple act of reading His Word, it's going to change your experience for the rest of the day. So, Andrea, no pressure right there. So, but thank you for being here.
1: (laughs) Galatians 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. Hmm. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Aren't you also grateful to be a part of a church that preaches the freedom we have in Christ Jesus? Amen. Amen.
0: So let's just take just a few minutes off the top to talk about this word freedom. Because we would say that we're free. I mean, we live in the land of the free, home of the brave, right? I mean, we have the Declaration of Independence. Um, we're self-determining. You got up today. Guess what you did? You came to church at 11, probably 20, uh, even though it started at 11, 15. Uh, <laughs> But you were free to be late, right? Come on. Um, so, so we feel like we have some level of freedom. But the truth is, we're held in bondage by some things. Like for some of us, you're, you're a slave, to the grind every day every monday morning you're up thinking about it how am i going to win how am i going to succeed how am i going to provide how am i going to get to the next level and you're just a slave to the grind and when you wake up in the morning you wish you could be part of the great resignation but then what would you do you can't why cuz you're a slave cuz you're in bondage like for some of us we're slave to insecurity Man, we're slave to insecurity. We're we're a slave because we don't think we look good enough. We don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we got the right family. We don't have the right pedigree. And so so we're just a slave to our insecurity. You know, for some people, you're slave to the news cycle. Have you noticed this? Over and over and over again. And every day when we get up, that news cycle seems to be coming for us. And it's never. I never get an alert on my phone that says, this is some good news for you from CNN. Do you? I don't get any alerts, FYI. However, man, sometimes we're a slave to our phone. You know, we think it's going to bring so much freedom. But in every moment, every little bit of downtime, every blank we have in our schedule, what are we doing? Looking at that phone. We just have these alerts, and we're inundated, and we're just a slave to it. And what happens is we feel like we're living in freedom, but over the course of the day, that slavery begins to wrap us up. It begins to wrap its fingers around our neck, and it begins to choke us out. And we wake up one day, and we're full of anxiety and stress and depression, and we don't know where it came from. And that's where it came from. We are not living free. And Paul says, don't do it. Paul says you don't have to live that way. Paul says that you can be free and safe free. See, for some people, what happens is we get set free, but we don't live free. We go back. Have you ever noticed how we're creatures of habit? That we go back to things that aren't always the best for us. I'll give you one quick example, maybe two. Um, Has anybody in here ever been on a diet? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. So think about it. You got New Year rolled around. It was January. Things are going to be different this year, so I'm going to feel better. I'm going to lose some weight. And you adopt a diet. You know, you go keto or paleo or Jethro or whatever your flavor of diet is. And you start eating better and you start exercising. You feel good and you lose weight and your brain is clearer. You're thinking, I'm always going to live this way. And then somebody has a birthday and you get some cheesecake. (laughs) Then you wake up the next day like, I already cheated, so it's Krispy Kreme for breakfast and lunch. And you're like, what did I do? And you begin to feel bad. But what did you end up finding yourself in worse shape than before, don't you? And this is what happens with our freedom. And Paul wants to point out how we can live free. Paul wants to point out how we can live without these shackles on our life. Paul wants to point out how we can continue to walk in the peace and the joy and the purpose that God has created for us. And, and, and he has paid for us to live in. Like this is the freedom that we have. You know, kind of bottom line here is this. When you embrace grace, you find freedom. Listen, when you embrace not having to prove yourself, when you embrace not having to work for it, when you embrace that God has given it to you as a free gift, listen, that is where you're going to find freedom. So, hey, let's grab our Bibles. If you haven't already, we're going to be in Galatians 5, as we pointed out earlier. Uh, and if you're new here, we always are going to read from the Bible, kind of explain about it. We believe the Bible always points to Jesus. Amen, somebody? Right? We believe He's where the solution is. He, we believe He's where freedom is found. And so we, what we want to do is do our best to help you see Him in the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the goodness that He is. And so that's why we read the Bible. And so I'm going to read, and I'll read a verse or two and talk about it, read a verse or two and talk about it, and then we'll... We'll be done about one o'clock. And so verse one, it says this in chapter five, verse one, it says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Like, isn't it obvious for freedom, you are free. Like that seems obvious to me, doesn't it to you? Like it's for freedom. And what Paul is trying to do is just to nail down this sentence in our hearts, because he knows we weren't free for any other re- reason other than to live free. It doesn't say for morality, you're free. It doesn't say for following the rules, you are free. It doesn't say to be a nice person or to make everybody happy or for my own comfort. It doesn't say for my own pleasure, you are free. It says to be free is why you were set free. It is central to what happens in the life of Jesus and in the Bible and the story that we live in. Like, have you ever had a time when you just felt free? Like, you can just look back on your life and, like, oh, that was the good old days. That's what we say. Man, back in the day, right, we just felt free. Do y'all remember when you could ride down the street on your bike and not wear a helmet? Hello, somebody? Like, that was freedom. And when you were a kid and you could just leave the house and you could tell your mom where you were going, but you weren't going to be back and you didn't have a phone and you didn't have to check in because you were with friends and all the neighbors were kind of, they all kind of knew where all the kids were. And you could just, you could just live free. I remember as an adult, like I can remember, you know, because what happens when you become an adult? You get a job and you get kids. Oh, my Lord. And then you have a, responsibilities and you don't feel free. You feel, you feel like you're chained down. I can remember uh, when I first got out of college. I was an actuary, and so I was working for an insurance company, and Debbie and I felt like God wanted us to go into ministry, and so um, De- Debbie and I and our, at the time, one year old, and Debbie was pregnant at the time, we, man, we just gave it up. We sold our house, and we were debt-free. I can remember pulling out of the driveway, and I had one, in one car and driving one car, and I was headed to go get my master's degree, and I thought, this is it, man, I am debt-free, and I'm supposed to be poor, so it doesn't feel like a lot of pressure because I'm going back to school, and man, you move in with people who are... In the same and you're just completely trusting God in those moments, man. That is what freedom feels like. Man, and, and the story of the Bible is the story of freedom. One of the one of the hallmark, one of the staple stories of freedom in the Bible is the story of the Exodus. How many how many have heard of Moses in the Exodus? like like a handful of people, what I want to do is I want to point out, I Man, this story is so important. It is such a cornerstone of freedom because it's, it happens and they get free, but Jesus points to it. A lot of the religious holidays that we see, they are centered around this idea of the exodus, and I want to point out how this story is actually a story of freedom. So you may remember a little bit of the story, so it goes a little bit like this. You had these God's people. God had selected some people, the Jews. Now, he didn't select them because they had anything worth selecting, okay? He just decided he was going to do it. He just said, you're my people. And the reason you're my people is so that the world will know that I'm good. The world will know my glory. You're supposed to take the message of who I am to the rest of the world. He picks them out. Now, Now, over the course of some centuries, what ends up happening is they end up in Egypt, and they end up in slavery. They end up in bondage. And there's about three million Jews in Egypt and they are in bondage and they're doing all the work. They are the economic engine for Egypt. And then it says that God looks at them. and he says, he sees them, he hears them, and he has compassion. And God sends a savior and his name was Moses, the prince of Egypt. And Moses goes to the king uh, of Egypt called the Pharaoh. And he says, hey, God said, you got to let these people go. And Pharaoh's like, Whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know your God. I don't know anything about them. I don't even care. I am the king. And so in, the mo- in those days, God begins to send 10 different tragedies to the nation of Egypt to wake them up to who God is. So it, it, he sends 10, and they're called plagues in the Bible. So the nation of Egypt endures these plagues. Their crops are destroyed. People die. Um, Their their cattle and livestock die. They get sick. Just so many bad things happen. And at each turn, the Pharaoh's like, not going to do it until, until this thing called the Passover. Now, in the Passover, this is what God does. He realizes it's going to take an extreme measure to get Pharaoh's attention to let these people go. So God commands the nation of Israel, his people, to sacrifice a lamb as a sacrifice for their sin. And they take the blood and they put it over the doorpost of their house. So that as the angel of the Lord comes through, anybody who didn't have that sacrifice, didn't have that blood on the doorpost, the firstborn died. But if they had the blood, guess what happened? The angel of the Lord passed over that house and they got to leave so the nation of Israel ends up exiting Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, and they don't know what to do because it is certain death. And you have the nation of Egypt, the full military might of the M- Egyptian empire bearing down on them. You can only imagine the dust and the noise, and they're afraid, and they've never had been in a battle in their life. And God parts the Red Sea, a miracle that happens and they walk through the Red Sea, and they come to the other side. And then God uses the Red Sea to swallow up the Egyptian army, and they are free. Now, they go into the wilderness for about 40 years, or for 40 years. And then they make it to what's called the Promised Land. Oh, and that's the dream, isn't it? That's the hope. Now, this is our story. Like, you and I were created by God. The Bible says that before we, were even, before we were even a thought in our parents' mind, that God knew us, he created us before we were in our mom's womb. God knew who we were. He had given us life. He knows what our purpose is. He knows why we're here. He knows our experiences. He knows what we're going to go through. God already knows. And he has appointed each and every one of us to point people to him, to his glory, and to his goodness. And so we're born, and then what happens? Man, we find ourselves in bondage. Man, we find ourselves in bondage to so many different things. Some of the things that happened to us that we're in bondage to, maybe some abuse or abandonment. And we have so much that holds us back, and we feel like we're not worthy. And we just live in this bondage. Oh, but God, man, God performed a miracle, and he sent a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Hey, and Jesus is a better Moses, isn't he? Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us freedom. And everything that held us back, Jesus took to the cross. And Jesus was killed. He was murdered on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, but not so we could stay in that. Not that we just got forgiveness, but so that we could walk in freedom. And then, a better miracle than the Red Sea happened. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection Right? And this is the story that we live in. This is the story that God has given us. This is the freedom that God wants us to walk in. I mean, it's for freedom that you have been set free. And the price is too big for us to ever go back and walk under another yoke of slavery, Paul points out. He says this and there. He says, stand firm. He says, stand firm. Why? Because you're going to want to go back. You're going to want to go back. Now think about this. The nation of Israel, they get out into the wilderness. They're, they get free from slavery. They're, they're no longer under forced labor. And they get out there and they're like, man, we had it better in Egypt. At least we had steak and potatoes to eat while we were there, even though they didn't. But they began to glamorize the past and remember things as better than they were. You ever do that? The good old days, as I said earlier. We tend to go back. And Paul says, you can't do that. It's a fight. you got to stand firm. You've got to remember you got to hold on because you've taken too much ground to give up any ground. He says, stand firm and don't submit yourself to any. And he uses this word, yoke of slavery. Yoke of slavery. Now, in that culture, I mean, we know the agricultural use of a yoke is when two ox or maybe two cows are kind of locked together. And they can pull and plow a field or maybe pull a heavy burden, a heavy weight. And so that word began to be a metaphor for a type of religious teaching. So a rabbi, a teacher, would have a yoke. He would have a certain kind of teaching. So if you were to adopt their yoke, you would follow their kind of teaching. Now, now here's something that, that we need to remember today. We're all attached to a yoke. Come on. Like, we're all attached to something. None of us are completely independent. There is some way of life we're living. There's a rule of life that we're following. There's a way of going forward, of thinking, of making decisions, of spending money, of being in relationship. We're all attached to something. And so this would be the yoke that you're attached to. And Paul is going to point out three different yokes. Two are bad, okay? And so the first yoke is the yoke of religion. It's the yoke of religion. It's following the rules. It's believing I can take some certain actions and make God happy. Now, then you have the pendulum swing to the other way, the yoke of rebellion. Any rebels in the house, by the way? Hello? Come on. Nobody wants to admit it, right? Because you rebels don't want to raise your hand because I asked you to. Exactly. (laughs) The yoke of rebellion. And what that is is I'm not following the rules. You make a rule. I'm going to break it. And so both of those actually, religion and rebellion, they both actually are founded on what? The law. One says, I'm going to follow them all. The other says, I'm not following any of them. And Paul says, both of those are going to lead you into slavery, but there's one that will lead you to freedom. So let's jump down into verse two. He says this, he says, I, Paul, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, now in this, in this context, circumcision would have been uh, kind of the the law that they were saying they had to follow. In the Jewish Jewish religion, the way it went was at eight days old, baby boys were circumcised just as this outward uh, expression, this outward symbol that they were in the club, that they belonged to the nation of Israel. So what they were saying here is that if you wanted to be part of the church, you had to go through circumcision, right? And so what they're saying is you had to be a Jew first, and then you can follow Jesus. But Paul goes on to say this. If you accept this, then Christ will be at no advantage to you. I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. He can't just do part of it. You've got to do all of it. You are severed from Christ. The reason why you're severed from Christ is because he wants to give you grace. He wants to give you a relationship with God. And if you try to earn it, it's all bets are off. Right? So you've severed yourself from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so this circumcision was just this idea that you could earn your way to God. There's something you could do to make God happy. And so all the laws were based on this. Now, as the nation of Israel came out of slavery, they adopted the Ten Commandments. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, got them all on the mountain, Mount Sinai, uh, stone tablets and all that. And it's, you know, ten things that actually would help them know if they were following God. Things like you shall worship. Uh, the Lord your God, you'll have only one God. You shall make idols, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, you know, don't lie, don't covet. Those were the Ten Commandments. And so what happened was they began to make other laws to follow those laws. They began to make other laws to follow those laws. And then it, begot, it got distorted, okay? It'd be a little like this. Let's imagine, how many people have kids over the age of 10 in the house today? Yeah, a handful of you. So, so, so imagine this. You have a rule you have a value. You want to keep your house clean. You want to keep your house clean. I think that's fair for everybody in the house. And so so here's what happened. First rule. First rule that happens. Kids come home from school like, hey, we're keeping the house clean. So you're going to dust and you're going to vacuum every day when we get home from school. Does that sound like a joke? You're going to dust. You're going to vacuum when we get home from school. So that's great. So the next day they come home, they begin following the rule that you made. Then you're like, hmm, it's not really as clean as I thought. Hey, every day when you come home, First of all, you're going to take your shoes off in the garage, then you're going to dust, then you're going to vacuum. They come home, you get to the end of the day, like, ah, still not clean enough. So the next day they come home, you're going to add some more. So you're going to go in the garage when you get home from school, close the garage door, and you're going to change into these hazmat suits that we bought you. And you're going to come in, you're going to vacuum, and you're going to clean. And then it's like, you know what? Actually, when you come home now, you don't need to go back out because you're bringing dirt in the house and it's making the house not clean. Oh, you know what? When you come home from school now, after you do all those things, you just stay in your room because you're bringing dirt into the house. And you see how it just begins to get distorted. And we begin to have to build this life and build this system of laws and rules. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't go back to that. The laws, they have no ability to do what? To change your heart. See, laws and rules, they can't change your motivation. They can't make you love God. They can't make you love people. And then he says this. If you, if, you, if you try to accept following one law, you have to follow them all. You have to follow them all to be perfect. So they adopt one. Now he's like, you gotta, you got to follow them all so that you can be perfect. Anybody struggle with perfectionism in here? Anybody just always looking at some standard they're trying to live up to? You know, For some people, it's your parents. They had some dream for your life, and you try to live up to that. Whether it's a certain career, they want you to have grandkids, which that's actually valid uh, if you want to have kids. Huh. And they want you to be in a certain area of the economy. They want you to have a certain income. They want you to live in a certain location. And what happens is you begin to try to live up to that standard. That's, that's too much pressure to bear. You know, it may, it may be a standard that maybe your, your wife has set up for you, or your husband has set up for you, or your children have set up for you. It could be a standard that culture has set up for you, the way that you view success. And what happens is we begin to live in this life of comparison. Now, this is really where the insidious genius of Satan shows up. Because when you live in, the, the, when you live in this comparison, what happens is you begin to judge other people, which is the antithesis of what God wants us to do. Have you ever noticed how you compare yourself to people? Like when you were walking in today, you looked at somebody, you know you did, and you said, y'all are wearing that to church? Maybe you pulled up next to them in the parking lot, and you're like, ooh, that's a nice car. Or maybe it's, maybe it's in your neighborhood. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses. Or maybe you saw someone, they had that body type that you wish you had, or the job you wish you had, or the family you wish you had, and you begin to compare. Or maybe just maybe what happens is you begin to measure up and say, I've, I've got this, and they don't. I look like this, and they don't. They do this, and I don't. And we begin to elevate ourselves. And we live under this pressure and this prison of comparison. And we do it religiously. Man, if you think about the things that we do in church to make us good Christians. You go to Bible study. How many Bible studies you go to? And people will say all the time, man, I'm in four different Bible studies. I'm like, man, you must be a slow learner (laughs) because it feels like you should know by now going to small group. I went to church. Oh, Stephen, I couldn't make it. I watched online. And we have our own list of spiritual practices that we think make us right with God. And that's a lot of pressure to live under. And Paul says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to the law because the law, man, it can't change you. It can't change your heart. Let me ask you this. What standard are you trying to live up to? Hey, students, what standard are you living up to? Is it your friends? Your parents? Is it God's? Like what standard are you, look, you guys that are headed off to college? They're going to give you plenty of standards to follow, I promise you. And you need to decide now. You need to decide now. What standard are you living up to? Your boss, your colleagues. Like what is the standard that you're trying to live up to? Now Paul gives us the way out, and it's so amazing in verse six. He says, "In Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision; it doesn't count for anything, but only faith working through love." Come on, only faith working through love. Now, the thing about following laws is they can get kind of predictable. But when you follow God, let me just tell you, not predictable. Come on, somebody. Like, the life of faith, it's unpredictable. But that's where freedom is found. And so he says, faith working through love. Like, love is the motivation. This is where Paul's going. The only way that love can happen for God and for other people, for God to do that in your heart, for God to generate that in your heart, for God to change your motivation, for God to change what you want to do, and this is what the story of the gospel is, that Jesus did not want to write laws on a rock tablet. He wants to write them on our heart so that we want to do the things that he wants us to do. And then, and then he, he gets really aggressive in verse 7 through um, 12, and he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what he's saying is there's one person in the church that's stirring up all these false beliefs. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? So what Paul is saying is, you you say I'm preaching circumcision? I'm not. And I'm the one who founded this church. You guys should listen to me. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He says, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Pretty aggressive move for somebody in the church, right? And so Paul is just trying to paint this picture that we got to stand firm and we got to fight for it. So we have this freedom from religion. It gives us freedom of trying to be perfect and living under the prison of perfection. But he also gives us this freedom uh, from rebellion. Look in verse 13. It says, you were called the freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Because what happens is we begin using our opportunity, we use our freedom for us, you know, selfishness and pride. We have freedom. We use it to fill our own lives, our own heart, our own bank account. This is what happens. And some people would even, and you may have heard this said, and maybe you've said It's like, ah, you know what, I can do that. I can, I can do that action. I can make, commit that sin. Because guess why? I'm forgiven. Right. You've heard people say that. You can do that. You're forgiven. Anybody that says that completely doesn't understand the magnitude of the gospel. Amen? Like the gravity of sin. The fact that sin ripped apart cosmic earthquake shook the foundation of the universe, and changed our lives dramatically. But that the gospel came in the goodness of God. He sends his son, Jesus, so that Jesus can repair the breach, so that Jesus can put things together, so that Jesus can release us from bondage. And he died the most excruciating death. That Jesus is hung on a cross. He's murdered. He's beaten and he's executed on a cross. He spends time. He gets separated from his earthly heavenly father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the pain and the agony in that all, oh, Why? Because he loved us so that we could have you know, And then when we sin, and we, we're misunderstanding the power of the gospel. And we tend to move back into using our freedom as an opportunity to gratify the desires of the flesh. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're selfish, it just never goes good? Like, haven't you been somewhere and done something good for someone? You're like, oh, I feel so good about myself. If you've ever been on a mission trip and you've gone to help people or maybe you've served someone who is underprivileged, you get home and you're like, I'm more blessed than they are. Man, you feel it. And this is the type of freedom that God wants us to walk in. You know, I talked a little bit about some of these last week because we began to build rules. And most of us grew up in a religious tradition, different ones, where there were certain things that we adopted as being the way to make God happy. Man, the things you can do and the things you can't do. So, like, if you're a Catholic, you grew up with a lot of rules. Hello, somebody. Any, any Catholic in the house want to say amen, right? Probably. I mean, there's just a lot of rules, and it feels like rules become the focus. They become central, right? But if you grew up Baptist, as I talked about it last week, what was the one that kind of at the top of the list for Baptists? Drinking alcohol. Like, I can remember, you know, as a kid, like, that was, that was taboo. That was not just bad for you because it was illegal until you were 21, But it was bad for you because it violated scripture. And then you grow up and you read the Bible for yourself. And you're like, oh, that's actually not in there. That you can actually drink. However, what happens if you drink too much? What happens when you medicate, when you come home every day and drink? You let your freedom lead you back into slavery. Now now, now think about it. In, In 2020, as we went through the pandemic and even now as we come out, there were certain industries that made a lot of money. And one of those was liquor stores. Because we were medicating ourselves. We were over-medicating. And guess what that leads to? That leads to slavery. It leads to bondage. And we have to be careful, Paul's saying. you got to be on guard for that. Like, Don't let your freedom lead. There's so many things you get to do in this freedom. There's so many things you get to do. Like Another one comes to how we use our money. You know, When we use our money selfishly, we never feel good about it. We hoard it up. And then all of a sudden, Paul would teach us later on in 1 Corinthians. He's like, you're going to die, and then where does it go? And Jesus talks about this. And, but guess what? I am free now to be generous. I get to help other people with the dollars that God has given me. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there were so many laws for Jews on their money that they were required to give roughly 33% of their income. But now we're free to give so much more away oh, if we want to. And we are free to give. Now, do we have guidelines? Absolutely. But I mean, we're free. So we can't let our freedom lead to more slavery by us buying more things, going into debt, buying things that we don't need, and not looking out for other people, Paul would say. Money and relationship. Listen, vain pursuit of pleasure will never provide us freedom. And we get to be free. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking about this over in another place in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, um, Jesus says this. He says, "If, if, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. That does not sound like the Western view of freedom, does it? Give up yourself. Put yourself next. Don't take care of yourself. You see, freedom in the United States is this. Permission to do whatever I want. That seems like freedom. But what Jesus is saying, hey, if you deny yourself, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find the life that you're looking for when you live for other people. If you save your life, you'll lose. If you lose your life, you'll say it. Listen, when, it, when it's about you, guess what's going to happen in your marriage? You're going to look for your spouse to meet all your needs, and that's not going to happen. That's too much weight to bear. What's going to happen? You're going to walk away. Man, if you, if you look for it to be about you and your finances, you're going to get to the, the end of your life, and you're going to be lonely and bitter and angry. And if you look for it to be about you and your parenting, if you look for it to be about you in any area, you walk away from the freedom. But Jesus says, just surrender to me. You'll get the life you're looking for. Now, Paul points out, ironically, I think, uh, exactly the way to freedom. He points out this third yoke that we're going to look at the way to freedom. He says in verse 13, He says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Then in verse 14, He says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is taking people who were fighting over the law, and he uses the law to make his uh, statement, to make his stand. Like the whole law is is bound up in this one word, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? What did he say? Love God, love people. And so Paul says, you're doing everything out of selfish ambition. You should love other people. The way that you actually show that you're free is by setting other people free. The way that you show that you're free is by setting other people free. Freedom is a dish best served family style because there's other people at the table. And we don't use it just for ourselves. We get this ability because it's about other people. You know, if freedom's about permission in the, in, in the West. In the Bible, freedom is just this ability to totally trust, totally trust that God is going to give me. He's going to give me the power to want what is best for other people. God's going to give me the power to want what is best for other people. And ironically, what happens is when you give away your life, when you love other people first, guess what? You just get so much freedom in return. God just begins to bless you in ways you could not measure, you could not manipulate, and you could not plan. This is the story of the gospel. Let me ask you this. Who are you setting free today? If you had to examine your life and, and just identify people and just come up with a list of names that you're building into, helping, giving to, serving. Who are you setting free? And if you don't have someone, maybe the freedom is, good. you don't have the freedom in here that you need. Listen, Jesus came that we could have freedom. Now, the yoke that we're talking about happens in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus begins to talk about his yoke in Matthew chapter 11 and following his way. And he, and he lays out this third way of living. And he says In Matthew chapter 11, yeah, he says, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody tired? Anybody stressed out? Anybody worn out? Anybody wake up in the morning and think, man, I just, I don't, I think I'll stay here. Anybody anxious? anybody worried about the future depressed he says this take my yoke upon you learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul my yoke is easy and my burden is light and this is the third yoke and God wants our heart to look like his the God has come Jesus came so we didn't have to work hard to be accepted or approved We didn't have to worry about what we looked like or what we thought or how smart we were or if we were born in the right family. Man, that God loves us deeply. You know, there's a story about Abraham Lincoln. uh, And, you know, it's one of those stories like if it's true, it's amazing. If it's not, it's a great teaching. (laughs) And it gives a story that that Lincoln, when he was a senator uh, in Illinois, he was in Springfield, and he goes um, to a slave auction. And he purchases a slave, a a young lady, a young woman. And as they're walking away, he turns to her and he says, you're free to go. She says, what? I'm, I'm a slave. You just pay for me. He says, you're, you're free to go. And she thinks for a second. and She says, "Then I'm going to follow you. And Lincoln's like, what? Follow me? He says, yeah. Anybody that would set me free, that's who I'm going to follow because they're worthy of it. And Jesus came to set us free. And there's no other way to live that will provide you freedom outside of following